Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Not much improvement is being reported by students at a new McMaster University residence in downtown Hamilton. Why can't city housing Hamilton house more local homeless people? And a Hamilton surgeon visits Gaza. Plus, local environmental concerns, Ontario's tourism industry is hurting, and a totally tubular event. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Students living in a new McMaster University residence in downtown Hamilton still complaining about some problems that are persisting. We first learned about this situation about a month or so ago. Uh, But a long list of issues at this student residence at 10 Bay Street, including contaminated water, bugs, electrical outages, even privacy violations. Has anything changed? Have we seen some improvements? Elliot Goodell Ugalde is a graduate research and teaching assistant in the Department of Political Science at McMaster University and one of the many students living in this 30-story tower at the corner of Bay and King. And uh, Elliot is also a co-chair of the Tenant Working Solidarity Group at this residence and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Elliot, good morning. Hello, Rick. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, How are you guys doing? What is the situation like right now? Um, we're doing okay, uh, despite everything. Uh, the situation hasn't improved that much. Um, since our last correspondence with Global, um, a tenant has actually been hospitalized, presumably due to the tainted water supply. Um, they are now on a variety of antibiotics and are thankfully in good condition, however. Um, but yeah, aside from that and a uh, number of other persistent issues, we're doing okay. And has this tenant or, or uh, student's that went to hospital, are they back in the residence? Uh, I believe so, yes. Wow. I mean, after hearing that, after seeing a fellow student going to hospital because of what's happening in your building, I mean, what what does that feel like? Um, Well, it's not great. Um, The university has not put out a formal water boiling advisory, um, presumably due to the optics doing so would cause. Um, However, given the numerous rashes and sicknesses, uh, and now the confirmed hospitalization, um, obviously not putting out the not putting out a formal water boil advisory um, is gravely irresponsible. Um, so yeah, the university definitely has to prioritize the health and safety of its students, its tenants and employees over their public image at this point. Do you know of any people who were living in the residence who have left because of what has happened? Um, so that's actually one of our demands, introducing a 30-day um, uh uh, clause that allows us to actually uh, abandon the lease, uh, given the issues, um, because unfortunately at this point in time, it's not very easy for any of us to do that, uh, especially considering that the university does serve as not just our landlord, but also our employer and our educator. Uh, so that the, the levers that they have over us as individuals is quite significant, and that's also why we've decided to band together um, and initiate the Tenant Solidarity Working Group. So what's been the response from McMaster on that request, that 30-day request? Um, it hasn't been fantastic at this point in time, I'm not going to lie. Um, the university continues to decline a request for collective meetings. Um, instead, they contacted the current executive members of the Tenant Solidarity Working Group, uh, namely myself and my colleague, Connor Galloway, uh, proposing a meeting. Um, and essentially, we replied, emphasizing that any discussion excluding the other tenants is unacceptable, it's a non-starter. Um, and their response suggested a willingness to engage with us, uh, quote, in our capacity as tenants, end quote, um, which is kind of silly. It raises a question because if their intention is to discuss tenant issues um, and discuss with us in our capacity as individual tenants, why are they reaching out to us 
uh, and only us, the executives of the working group. Um, so, yeah, so this obviously seems like a tactic seemed to be a deliberative divide and conquer strategy aimed at weakening uh, the sort of solidarity we're trying to foster here. Do you envision any sort of meeting, whether it's with the larger group or maybe just you two at some point? I mean, there's there's got to be a straw that breaks the camel's back and maybe we're already there. Uh, yeah, I believe that we are making headway here. Um, the university has now acknowledged our uh, working group as an official uh, organization. Uh, they began addressing us um, as a working group. Um, so again, we just urge the university to meet with us as a collective. Um, we do want to reiterate here that using the media as a sort of third-party medium is not our preferred avenue of communication. Um, unfortunately, until the university meets with us in our capacity uh, as a tenant, un- tenant union, um, it's the only option we have at this point. So are you still having to boil your water? Uh, yes, that is correct. And again, unfortunately, the university, due to optics reasons, has not put out a formal water boiling advisory, uh, which again, uh, I consider to be very irresponsible, uh, given the consequences that we've seen from, uh, arise from that. Um, yeah. So are you, what about taking a shower, taking a bath? And is the school providing bottled water to drink? Um, uh, they're providing big jugs of water outside, um, Am I able to read you a quote here, Rick, regarding the bath? Well, if you can do it within two minutes, absolutely. Okay, yeah. So here's a quote from Anonymous Tenant uh, that reads, uh, So many people I have spoken to, including myself, have developed rashes and skin lesions, uh, presumably from the detected coliform in our water supply. Uh, when I was in summer camp, we had a similar coliform outbreak, and I had developed nearly identical rashes and had gotten incredibly sick. Um, so again, that's just uh, one anecdote, one testimonial from uh, one of the very many... Uh, individuals has come forward to the union uh, with these sorts of issues. Aside from the water component, which, let's face it, is a huge part of the problem, uh, what about the other issues that were identified? Bug infestation, electrical outages, uh, there were privacy violations. Have those been addressed? Uh, no, they have not been addressed as of now. Um, we've had a number of uh, power outages. We had uh, bug infestations. We had uh, internet out- outages during the um, sort of the peak of uh, final exam season, which caused a lot of disruptances, uh, both for our students trying to engage in, in these exams, as well as for our uh, teaching assistants trying to conduct coursework and trying to teach undergraduate students uh, the material for their exams. Um, so, yeah, it's been quite problematic and an ongoing issue. All the while you're going to school. I mean, this has got to be quite stressful. Correct, yes. We're all uh, graduate students, uh, and the vast majority of us are also employed by the university. Um, as uh, teaching assistants and research assistants. Wow. Elliot, we'll uh, certainly keep in touch. Uh, Best of luck going forward. Hopefully a solution can be found and found quickly. Awesome. Thank you. Elliot Goodell Ugalde is a graduate research and teaching assistant at McMaster University, one of the uh, numerous students living in this uh, tower down at uh, Bay and King that, uh, as you just heard, encountering numerous issues. We'll try to get uh, McMaster's side of the story and uh, find out what's going on from their perspective on uh, next edition of Good Morning Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Let's talk a little housing, and in particular, city housing Hamilton, because it has some big plans here in 2024 in terms of, well, making sure there are many more affordable units this year than perhaps ever before. Adam Sweetland is the CEO of City Housing Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Good morning, Adam. How are you? 
I'm well. Thank you, Rick, for having me. What is the plan for 2024? How would you like to see City Housing Hamilton move the ball down the road in terms of uh, producing more units for people to get into? Um, that's a great question. We have a number of initiatives under underway, one of which, uh, before I talk about um, how we're addressing vacancies, I'll just mention that we have 161 units that are planned to be brought on, brand new units that are planned to be brought online in 2024 and across four different developments. Um, we are currently working on a long-term, it's very exciting for us, a 20-year development strategy, which will guide our work from not just on a sort of a one-year basis, but looking forward into 20 years from now. So we'll have a goal and we'll be able to, to really look forward um, to how we're doing that. But of course, a big commitment is, is performing our core business well. And one of those functions is addressing our vacancies. And I think one of the pieces that people don't always appreciate is that we have new vacancies every month. I mean, tenants move out on a regular basis. So generally we're adding about 40, 40 to 45 units every month to our vacancies. So there's this constant upward pressure. And um, over the years that, um, you know, I mean, I understand that funding has led to a bit of a backlog there and we have a backlog. So now our job is to address the backlog, but also make sure that we're moving forward in a very sustainable way that allows us to keep pace. So we've done some, we've had some major progress in 2023. And I'm happy to tell you that we've actually housed uh, 553 new households in 2023, which was a 25% increase over 2022 and was the most that we've housed since I believe 2016, but I may be wrong on that. How many units does City Housing Hamilton operate and, and how many right now are vacant? So we have about 7,100 units. Um, I, I have November 30th data. And as of November the 30th, there were 587 vacant units. However, of those 587, it's 138 were actually in the offer process. So that means somebody was, uh, you know, looking at the unit or were waiting to sign their lease, or in some cases, they had already signed a lease but hadn't moved in yet. There were 160 that were actively being repaired. So they were with the vendors and another, um, and the rest were waiting to be um, inspected and scoped for work orders. So will the remaining vacant units be filled up, for lack of a better term, in the next few weeks, few months? Is that the goal? So we have um, a plan to reach a 2% vacancy rate by the end of 2024, which means that we would not have more than 142 vacant units at any given time. And that's sort of reflective of the sector. That's reflective of what the CMHC data says right now is the vacancy rate for um, for Hamilton. And um, that's, the, that's the target that we're looking for. We want to be more sector appropriate in terms of those numbers. So we're really working a little bit harder than normal to... Uh, to, like I said, keep pace with what's coming on every month, but also address that backlog. So we know that um, it takes a little bit of time. We have, we've doubled the number of vendors that we have working on our vacant units. The, the processes do take a little bit of time. We have, uh, there's been some staff shortages, there's been some supply chain issues, but um, generally speaking, we've been addressing these issues um, head on as they've come up over the last year. And we're really seeing some momentum now. I can really hear people screaming at the radio because we have dozens of people sleeping in tents outside, yet we have available or at least vacant units. So why can't we put those people in those units? Is it is it all about the process? Is that kind of getting in the way? Um, well, I mean, they have to be repaired. I mean, units have to be repaired. We're working through that. Um, it would, it's not a matter of, you know, just snapping my fingers and putting 587 people off the street into these units. Well, not even 587 because 138 have been 
accounted for. But we also do follow the process. We actually select most of our tenants from the city's centralized wait list. So that is also part of the process. We have to go through that um, that uh, that work. How much has it cost to repair these units and what is the budget going forward to make these livable units? So we have an annual budget for our turnover. We base it, um, I think it's $3.2 million annually for the sustainable side of this, so to keep pace. And that's actually a bit an increase um, from the past. I think we've actually increased it a bit more this year. Um, and then we have a capital funding uh, uh, pot that was um, provided to us through the city of Hamilton last year. And thank, thanks to the leadership of the mayor and Ward 3 councillor and the support of council, we have the money to address our backlog as well. So it's not, so the funding issue has been addressed. So we're really um, at that point where we're just working through the work. Well, I wish uh, you and everyone else at City Housing Hamilton the best of luck in getting these uh, units repaired and more people inside of them. Adam, appreciate the time this morning. Thank you, Rick. Have a great day. You too. Adam Swedland is the CEO of City Housing Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Speaking with a Hamilton-based surgeon now who's just back from Gaza where he went as part of a medical convoy. What did he see while he was there? Well, let's ask him. Dr. Anas Al-Qasim is a chief surgeon with uh, the Norfolk General Hospital and West Haldeman General Hospital and joins us now on GMH. Dr. Al-Qasim, good morning. Good morning. When did you visit Gaza, and, and what was it like? So I went uh, during the Christmas holiday uh, with the WHO uh, convoy. We were six surgeons uh, from Canada and USA, and uh, it was uh, horrific to see what um, the whole you know healthcare system has collapsed. Um, many uh, of the uh, patients are lying down on in, in the entrance on the stairs. Um, no, no stretchers, no beds, and a huge lack of uh, medical supplies and HR uh, in many hospitals. So were you able to treat patients while you were there? Uh, I was able. So uh, as I said, we had uh, six surgeons, and uh, we deployed our efforts between two major hospitals in Canunis, that's south of Gaza. Um, we were able to do um, head trauma surgeries, uh, thoracic uh, abdomen surgery, which is my specialty, and uh, a lot of amputations, unfortunately, because there is no time and uh, enough, uh, you know, resources to do reconstruction for the limbs. So we had to do a lot of amputations, particularly for children. All the while, bombs are dropping, rockets are being fired, missiles hitting targets. What's your mindset while you were there? I mean, to be honest with you, we had a lot of fears, particularly from the crossing all the way to the hospitals, because you can see the destruction. You can uh, hear the, the drone on top of your head 24 hours, um, airstrikes, um, you know, it's a massive destruction. But once you get into the hospitals, uh, you know, you see how the uh, medical team, the local team is calm and uh, focusing on what they can do in terms of saving lives. They, they give you that kind of feel uh, to, to become comfortable and, um, uh, you know, and enjoy working with them side to side because they have been working tirelessly for three months. And that's what we came for. So we focus on patient care. Yes, you hear the bombs, you hear the tanks, uh, uh, but uh, you just focus on what you came for. I'm sure it was very rewarding. But outside of the work that you were doing in the hospital, when you're lying in bed at night, what was that like? Unfortunately, the bombardment by the Israeli forces uh, were intensified at night for some reason. 
Um, I've been told that the drone can have better uh, visualization, uh, and we can't see, of course, anything, but you hear the bombardment and uh, the tanks uh, getting more active at night. Uh, so it is a little bit scary, you know, but um, at least, uh, as I said, you know, we're there only for a short time and the people there have been there for more than three months. Um, I feel for the people in the tents uh, that they have been, you know, uh, exposed to these bom- bombardments and ongoing airstrikes for three months now. Many of them, um, they're pushed from northern Gaza to south Gaza and they're taking the hospitals as vicinity, although even the hospitals were not protected and they have been attacked was it easy to get in and out of Gaza, or were there some challenges there as well? There are a lot, lots of challenges, although the WHO facilitated our, our trip, but lots of checkpoints in the Sinai Desert. Um, you know, eventually we made it. You know, it took us probably more than 24 hours uh, back and forth, and we had to sleep uh, near Rafah Crossing in the first day. Uh, but then, uh, you know, once, as I said, you're in uh, we we just like focus on the work day and night, um, and do uh, a lot of surgeries, assess patients in ER. We saved uh, some lives. We could not save every life, and uh, that really impacted us. But it is a war. Are you planning to go back? You know what? Um, the Gaza people are lovely people. Uh, they're so welcoming, uh, uh, and I, I feel that I'm attached to them, and my heart. Uh, is still there, to be honest with you. I feel, uh, you know, great that we were able to achieve the first medical mission, um, you know, and to to lay hand to to the people, uh, particularly to the medics. They have been attacked as well, and they've been under a lot of stress. But um, eventually, if I have an opportunity, I'll I'll, I'll be more than happy to go back for sure. Uh, Last one for you. We've all seen videos and photos of the devastation. Is it much different when you are there, when you're looking at everything around you? 100%. You know, what you see in in, in the TV is just a small portion of the reality. The destruction of the houses, of the streets, there is really no city left behind, to be honest with you. I feel that I I crossed to a different planet. And the the suffering of the civilians, the suffering of the children is immense, uh, particularly the amount of injuries. More than uh, 10,000 children are injured with all kinds of injuries. Uh, they need a lot of work, not only the acute surgeries that we were able uh, to provide them with, but they need a lot of post-op care and chronic care. And I, I hope that this war will end today so we can get more troops from, from Canada to be involved in the post-op care. Sounds like it was a life-changing event for you, and I'm glad you could share the story with us and our listeners here on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. al Kasam. thank you for uh, your time this morning. Thank you for having me. And as Dr. Anas Al-Qasim, the uh, chief surgeon at the Norfolk General Hospital and West Haldeman General Hospital going to Gaza over the Christmas holidays to help people in that part of the world. Absolutely incredible. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Ontario's Standing Committee on Finance and Economic Affairs this is the pre-budgets committee that's going around the province asking people about their input ideas on how the 2024 Ontario budget should be compiled. It's going to be released in about March, as it usually is. One of the people who offered their thoughts to the committee is joining us now on GMH. Sarah Harmer is a Burlington singer-songwriter and also a co-founder of Protecting Escarpment Rural Land and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Sarah, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I am well, thank you. Well, tell us what you shared with the committee. What was your message? 
Yeah, the message is about gravel mining, quarrying in Ontario. The uh, Auditor General just released their report last month that says that nobody is really minding the uh, the gravel mining industry in Ontario. So the ministry is is barely inspecting quarry and 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 mines um, yearly, and there's just there's no enforcement when records or sorry when rules are broken. And uh, it's a big problem. They've got to spend more money to get more inspectors and make sure that this industry is following the rules. How did the committee receive your thoughts on this topic? Um, yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, the, there were conservative MPPs and opposition MPPs. And so I got some good questions from Sandy Shaw, who's the uh, Hamilton, one of the Hamilton MPPs about, um, you know, there's been a call from municipalities across the province asking for a, a timeout on new approvals for new quarries. So she talked about that. She asked me some questions about why we don't need as many uh, approvals as we've got. You know, we've got something like 13 times already more gravel uh, licenses are approved. So the, the industry is already sitting on 13 times more approvals than what we actually use every year. Wow. Why is this issue important to you? Well, because people, you know, I grew up in the country in North Burlington. I, I've met people all across the country, mostly people in rural areas that are, that have, are powerless, you know, and that are, are in danger. Their well water's in danger. When companies go below the water table, they can impact and do impact often um, quality and quantity of well water. You know, when the, when no one's inspecting these pretty, you know, pretty, they're not, it's not a benign industry. There's a lot of dangerous activity happening. There's a lot of blasting that happens with, with crushed rock quarries. So when they exceed, exceed the legal limit of the, the blasting, um, it can, it can be really problematic. We have, we've had neighbors, you know, windows break, our, our, We've got a big crack open up in our wall after a big blast. Um, it's it's worrisome for people in the country, and the industry is is not being regulated. There's no inf- enforcement's hardly happening. Like in the last five years, Rick, the uh, conservative government they collected fines of twelve hundred dollars, <laughs> you know, wow. uh, and there was thirty four hundred infractions uh, noted, and and they didn't seek enforcement really on on any of it. It's kind of surprising there is no or, or, or very little oversight when it comes to this part of, uh, you know, the, the, the mining or the, the agricultural industry. Did the committee seem receptive or at least, uh, I don't know if they made a promise, made a gesture of, hey, this is something we can look at? Yeah, the aggregate industry, you know, yeah, they did. They, I mean, I, they were all looking at me. <laughs> at, least <laughs> at least they were paying attention. <laughs> They were looking at me while I was when I was you know, I was really reciting the Auditor General's report. It's damning. It came. It's it's not me. You know, little old me that's saying saying this. I'm I'm just really trying to amplify what the Auditor General has found. How would if they get their act together and there is more oversight and you know now these companies that are mining are are playing by the rules? What kind of positive impact do you think this is going to have on our environment? It's going to be much better for people that live near quarries, and there are quarries all over the rural environment. And as far as, you know, blasting and dust emissions, that's one thing. We've got huge clouds of, of fine particulate matter with, with silica, so, you know, cancer-causing um, dust that's going into communities regularly, once a week sometimes. 
Um, and so that's they, they're, they're supposed to control the off-site emissions with dust water suppression. And so things like that, you know, when, when they're not, uh, when they're bound to the extraction limits that, they're, that they have been approved and they don't go beyond that, then well water is safer. Um, and right now there's a real rush on new approval applications. It seems like it's a land grab right now because the industry, you know, speculating, hmm. sees a very permissive government. Inspections, by the way, have gone down since the Ford government got in, in place five years ago. They've gone down 64%. So there's a real rush now uh, by quarry operators, Tra- huge transnational companies, most of them, or a lot of them. Um, so... Yeah, those things need to be improved. Very interesting. Sarah Harmer is our guest, Burlington singer-songwriter, co-founder of Protecting Escarpment Rural Land. We've got about 90 seconds, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about how the singing-songwriting stuff is going. Are you, are you still well into it? Is still Do you still have the, the bug? <laughs> That's a good question, Rick. I do. I'm going out on tour in March. Nice. Uh, U.S. and Canadian West Coast. And, uh, yeah, working on some new music, so I'm trying to, you know, trying to eventually get the the gravel the gravel stuff out of my system <laughs> it's just hard when you when you see all this this blatant uh you know blatant problems that government needs to get a handle on so well, maybe you can write I'll a song about singing it again yeah yeah i've written escarpment blues already yeah. so we'll see what's next <laughs> sarah appreciate the time good luck with this fight as well Thank you, Rick. Sarah Harmer is a Burlington singer-songwriter and has been for years and a successful one at that. Also, co-founder of Protecting Escarpment Rural Land is uh, in tune with what's happening with our environment and wants to see some improvements like a lot of people do. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. With little to no snow up until, well, this, this past weekend, I would imagine that is really throwing a wrench into Ontario's tourism sector. Jessica Ng is the Director of Policy and Government Affairs with the Tourism Industry Association of Ontario and joins us now on GMH. Jessica, good morning. How are you? Hi, Rick. Thanks for having me. Good. I'm, How are you? I'm, I'm fantastic, uh, although I'm, I'm sure I'm much better than Ontario's tourism sector. It has been, I'm sure, a tough go because of the lack of snow. And I'm sure that you would be weighing in on our poll question of the day, which is asking our listeners, with the first major snowstorm of the year coming tomorrow night, how are you feeling about it? I'm sure you're feeling quite happy that it's finally arriving. Oh, yeah. I am excited. Our operators are excited. The weather is finally coming through for us. So what has the impact been like this winter? It's been dry. It's been uh, no snow. It's been quite mild. Yeah, so it's not been great. You know, we did lose the Christmas season. We had snowmobile trails closed over the holidays. We had ice fishing that was impacted. Um, we, you know, on TikTok, I'm sure, I'm sure that everyone saw ski trails, ski resorts have been impacted. Snow resorts um, have been open, however. So, you know, relying on their own snow production for the most part, we did have people skiing during that warm stretch of weather. We do always have those avid skiers, but just not the same levels of visitation. And so some resorts have been hit harder than others by that weather. Are those snowmaking options? Operations, is that quite costly for those resorts? It is costly. I mean, it's a lot easier um, and financially viable when those snow production, uh, when they run during the nighttime. Um, and so doesn't use a whole lot of energy or electricity. And it's only during a certain you know, portion of the year, but um, definitely something that needs to be taken into consideration. 
And this is an impact, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about ski resorts or, you know, ice fishing. Um, it, it, that is not just the impact because other parts of the economy are affected. If you're going on a skiing trip, maybe you're uh, stopping at the grocery store, getting gas, picking up a coffee at a coffee shop, maybe going to the gift store while you're there. Like there's there's a huge economic ramifications here. Absolutely. So, you know, when we see a drop in visitation, it's not only those operators that are impacted, but it's the entire local visitor economy. It is, as you said, it's the retail, the accommodations, food and beverage, it's the local attractions. And so it is a loss for the entire uh, visitor economy and a loss as well um, for those businesses on the whole, still dealing with things like debt repayments, inflation, high operating costs and staffing issues. Is there a dollar amount that is being put so far on this winter? So hard to say at this point, we are hearing of revenue losses from snow resorts that are as high as 50% losses so far, but the tide is turning for us right now. Um, you know, what that's going to mean by the end of the season, not too sure yet, whether that's going to be breaking even, whether it's going to be, you know, generating some kind of um, uptick in profit. Jessica Ng is the Director of Policy and Government Affairs at Tourism Industry Association of Ontario. And uh, we're talking about the snowless, dry, mild uh, winter that we've been having that is clearly having an impact on the tourism industry. This also speaks to, I would think, the importance of diversifying our tourism sector. Have we done a good job over the last number of years of doing that? So I think we have. I think with the COVID shutdowns, our tourism businesses have um, done a really great job of adapting, diversifying their tourism offerings, ensuring that, you know, we're not just relying on one visitor market. We're relying on a number of markets, a number of different offerings in case, you know, we um, have disruptions in one pipeline. We're not going to be completely shut down. So, you know, we're not new to adapting our offering. And I think that's something that we're going to have to keep doing, um, you know, as the weather does keep uh, warming up. Is your group also pushing perhaps the provincial or maybe even the federal government at this point to um, have a more robust climate change action plan? Because obviously, you know, climate change is having an impact on how our weather is uh, proceeding from season to season. Absolutely. So our industry is hugely invested in climate change policy. We have a direct stake in that. Um, the EV charging infrastructure, for instance, that's one of our big files right now, absolutely supportive of uh, that policy. But, you know, we do need those EV charging um, stations to be available across Ontario in rural and northern regions where there aren't those charging stations right now. So if we're serious about that policy, we need to make that infrastructure available for people, for residents, visitors to even have that. So we are there, we're at the table, um, and, you know, just waiting for government to, to meet us halfway. Aside from the lack of wintry weather, we're also in a bit of an economic pinch with higher interest rates, uh, the cost of living just higher now. What, what impact has that had on the sector? So it's impacted recruitment and retention significantly. Um, you know, we did have staffing gaps during COVID where people left the industry due to those job losses, layoffs. Those gaps have not really been filled um, fully because people are still leaving the industry because they cannot afford to work in tourism. Um, and so that high cost of living really impacting, um, you know, labor, but also those business owners themselves who are feeling that pinch. In saying that, are there good deals out there, whether it's a, a ski resort or some kind of uh, tourism uh, engagement that people can, you know, uh, can enjoy over the next uh, few weeks and months? I think we're going to see that. I think operators are really keen to, you know, 
get visitors making up for that lost time, getting people to stick around through to the end of the winter season. Those are folks who, you know, might have left Ontario for Quebec for other winter destinations towards the end of February. We're hoping people stick around for that and stick around through March break um, and, you know, really enjoy all the tourism offerings that Ontario has to offer. And you're also battling people who want to maybe go to a, a sunny destination, right? Like that's always a struggle. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a struggle for Ontario tourism. And so it's something that we're, you know, continuing to um, impress upon the government. We need that step up in destination marketing to, you know, really emphasize what Ontario tourism has to offer. You know, winter is uh, one of our greatest tourism attractions. And so let's make the most of that. Let's capitalize on that. Well, there's some good news on the horizon with a big snowstorm approaching Ontario. Jessica, I'm sure you're happy about that. And I'm happy you joined us this morning. Thanks so much, Rick. Jessica Ng is the Director of Policy and Government Affairs at the Tourism Industry Association of Ontario. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We might be in the depths of winter right now, but imagine, if you will, being at a concert on a warm summer night later on this year, bobbing your head to some righteous 80s music. Well, imagine no more because it is actually happening. The Totally Tubular Festival is going to rock Toronto on July the 24th, one of 17 stops across North America, and tickets go on sale tomorrow. Here to talk about it is the Chief Fun Officer with the Totally Tubular Festival, John Pleader. John, good morning. How are you? Rick, doing great. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm fantastic. This sounds like a fun concept. Where did it come from? You know, it really just came from, um, A, my love for, you know, this kind of music in this genre in this era but you know it really just came out of it, we were in the middle of the pandemic and i thought you know when we're done with this we got to throw a party and we got to do something fun and there there wasn't much happening in the 80s new wave genre and i thought you know what now's the time so here we are which musical acts are going to be featured in in this year's festival Sure, we have a we have a great lineup for this uh, inaugural totally tubular festival. Uh, we have Thomas Dolby, Thompson Twins, Tom Bailey, Modern English, Men Without Hats, The Romantics, Bow Wow Wow, Tommy Two Tone, and the Plimsolls. Wow, that's pretty good. Is there one band in particular that you are exciting to see? I, I'm pretty stoked for all of them. They all still look and sound amazing. Um, personally, you know, I'm a big Thompson twins fan, so I'm excited for, uh, for, for Tom Bailey's set and Thomas Dolby's going to, you know, is going to wow us. So, you know, but, but quite frankly, they're all going to bring it, you know, everyone's excited for this tour and we're going to, we're going to have some surprises up our sleeve as well. So, um, I'm, I'm excited to roll the whole thing out and, 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 and throw this party for everybody. As I mentioned, our listeners can get their tickets starting tomorrow on TotallyTubularFestival.com. You can also go to Ticketmaster.ca or .com to get your tickets as well. Now, John, when you were, you know, approaching these bands to say, hey, I have this idea. It's going to be fun. It's going to be, you know, your, your genre. We want to profile you. How did they react? You know, they they reacted very favorably, very positively, but it was almost like suspending disbelief. Because, you know, I think they were approaching it from, okay, if he can pull this off, this is going to be fun. And I think that they were waiting to see if it could happen. And everyone's ready to go now. And everyone's, you know, everyone's all in drinking the Kool-Aid. So I, they're excited. We're excited. 
the the reaction that we've been getting from social media has been amazing. So I think everyone's into this. This is going to be a great run. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is John Pleader, the Chief Fun Officer with the Totally Tubular Festival. Tickets go on sale for this festival tomorrow. It's going to be in Toronto, just down the highway on July 24th. And it's going to be held at the Great Canadian Casino and Resort. You can get your tickets at Ticketmaster or TotallyTubularFestival.com. And I would not be surprised, John, if some festival goers show up wearing, you know, neon leg warmers, maybe a mullet or two. It's going to be quite the scene, I think. I, You know, I, I think you're right, Rick. Everyone should bring it, you know, bring it, you know, from the mullets to leg warmers to, to the day glow. I, I would just say go for it. Lean in. You know what? This is going to be a lot of fun, so you might as well dress for the occasion here. If this thing takes off, I mean, you mentioned this is the inaugural Totally Tubular Festival. If this thing really takes off, can you envision this becoming either a longer tour or or an annual festival? Definitely. Um, the, the response has been great. I definitely foresee a year two and beyond. And, um, and, and as this grows, uh, you know, the, we're, we're going to grow um, the party, you know, and so, so, so everything's just going to be supersized as we grow. And th- like you said, this is, this is year one uh, and it's going to be amazing, but, but we're playing the long game here and, and, and we're going to, we're going to, turbocharge this as we go and 80s music i mean it's it's so fun it's bouncy it's relatable i mean the the era was cool uh, this is a real as i said off the top it's a real fun concept it, it's a great era to kind of concentrate on to to go retro or turn back the clock definitely rick the the fun thing about this genre of music is you know it was it was one after another, hit after hit after hit. But what what was really unique in this genre at that time were the big choruses, the big hooks, the big hair, the big colors, the you know, everything was big. And I think coming out of the the music of the 70s, which I love, you know, I think you know the music of the 70s was were long epics and these overtures by these incredible acts. Coming out of that, the 80s really just got to the point and got to the point with these big courses, with these big hooks. And we haven't seen anything like it from music, pop music, new wave music, alternative music since then. And, you know, nothing against music now because, you know, music now is awesome across all the genres from pop to hip hop to punk to alternative to EDM. And it, it's all it's great. You know, the music business now is 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 on a roll. But if you were to think back and and look back, those hooks and choruses from the 80s, specifically this MTV generation of the early 80s, there was nothing like it. And and we're going to bring that to the stage. It's going to be, as I said, a lot of fun. Can't wait to see it. July 24th in Toronto. It's at the Great Canadian Casino and Resort. Get your tickets now. TotallyTubularFestival.com. Tickets on sale tomorrow or at Ticketmaster.com or .ca. John, we'll leave it there. Uh, Looking forward to this and best of luck with it. Rick, thank you. We'll see you soon. John Pleader, love his title, Chief Fun Officer. He's in charge of having fun with the Totally Tubular Festival. You can check it out, as I mentioned, on the website to get your tickets as of tomorrow morning. Should That should be a lot of fun. The 80s, you know, I grew up in the 80s. I was an 80s kid. It was a lot of fun. It wasn't always perfect. You know, you had the parachute pants, and you had the mullets, and you had the big hair, and you had the neon going. You had some, oh, the, the cars of that era. I mean, I was a fan. Not, not everyone loved 
you know, things like the DeLorean and the LeBaron and the, remember the Capri? Those were, those are pretty cool cars. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.